on, Destiny Church. Is it good to be in the building on a Sunday morning? Are you grateful for this worship team? Man, it's easy to preach coming out of that, amen? Hey, uh, for those who don't know, my name is Mark. I'm the campus pastor here at Destiny Church in Marshfield. If you don't know, Destiny Church is one church found in two locations. Our other location is found in Republic, Missouri. It's overseen by our lead pastors, Chad, and his wife, Tasha. Pastor Chad was here last week bringing the word. Um, I just want to give a special shout out to any first-time guests that we might have in the building. I know coming to the church can be an intimidating thing. Sometimes it's a little scary, but I want you to know we wholeheartedly love, we feel honored, we feel blessed that you would decide to come worship with us. Church, let them know. How do we feel about our first time guests? I got one of my buddies specifically from back in the day, good old Paul Thievey. Me and Paul worked together at Liberty Mutual and... Uh, Man, the Lord's done a transformative work in this guy. I'm throwing your dirty laundry, but I throw my dirty laundry all over everyone. Uh, he's, he's in recovery and fully recovered, was struggling with alcoholism, and he's made great strides. And We went to Buffalo Wild Wings about a week ago and caught up, and I just believe that God has big things for your life, man. He wants to use you. We talked about his, a lot of his family members are in ministry, and uh, you can see, you can watch Paul live. He probably should be dead, but the Lord's, uh, through his grace, has left a covering over him because he wants to use you in mighty ways, and I believe that. And that's true for everybody. I know that's true for everybody because the word says we were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Do you believe that? Yeah. Like, I know I say this every week, but I can never, I'll never get sick of telling people Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, where, where God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus to do good things. There's so much purpose that's been packed into the person that you are. Any other P words? Just sometimes that's fun to do. Seriously, God's, God's got these immense plans for your life. And I refuse to let the enemy convince you that you're too broken, you're too stupid, you're too dumb, you're too poor, uh, you don't know enough, you're not educated enough to lie to you and convince you you've messed up too much, you've sinned too much. It's like, man, Jesus, like this whole gospel thing, it's never been about what we can do and who we are. It's about the God that we serve. And he has this incredible willingness to use broken vessels for his glory. Uh, we're made strong in our weakness, like Pastor Ethan and said, do you just believe that? Because I just believe that. So, hey, uh, about a little less than a year ago, we made the decision as a church to start preaching through the Bible verse by verse instead of going uh, preaching topically. And so I, I think part of the reason that's beneficial for the church is because I think about painting a wall. And so as we go through verse by verse, we paint that wall nice and even. We don't skip anything, even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if it goes against what culture teaches us, even if it'll get us canceled, whatever it is. If we go verse by verse, we're going to preach it. It's going to hold us accountable to that. I think when we preach topically, it's beneficial. It edifies the body. And if you're a part of a church or if you've been in churches, even this summer, we did a topical series, got nothing against it. God uses it. It's beautiful. But I think when it comes to paint that wall. We'll splat over here, then we'll splat over here, and maybe we'll even not cover things that are specifically in the text because it just never lined up. And so I'm excited to jump into the book of James and to preach this thing verse by verse. And I think if we lean in, God's going to use it in mighty ways to mature us spiritually. James is like, you know, he's going to give you a little right hook in the mouth. He's going to give you a punch and a hug because he wanted to see the church mature. And that's still the calling on the life of the believers. Do you want to mature? Do you want to grow spiritually? Do you want to step into the things that God has for you? Yeah, you're convincing me. Yeah, wow. Real enthusiastic. But Do you want to step into the things God has for you? Come on. 
So I, I want to set us up here. I want to take some time. I'm really not going to preach a lot out of James this morning and contradict everything that I just said pretty much. But, but I do. I, I want to set up who is James? I want to look at James's story. Today, this morning, it's not even really so much preachy. It's more of like a biography of this man, James, and uh, who is he, and then this letter that he wrote. What's, what's that all about? I want to set us up. I think it's so important as we approach the text. I learned this in Bible college. They talked about the principalizing bridge, okay? And so we first, the, the, the best way to interpret scripture is to find out what did the letter mean to the original audience? What was the first intended audience? We gain that context. We learn that context. We identify differences and similarities between us. Then we apply the word of God. And that's how we will most accurately and appropriately apply the word of God to our lives. And so this morning, I just want to take some time. Who is James? Who's he writing to? What's his story? All of that. Is that okay? All right, let's go to John 7. Uh, This is kind of hilarious, interesting. This is where uh, some of the story with James begins. This is, was a starting place for him. John 7, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. There's people trying to kill Jesus. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters and Jesus's brothers, which of whom James is one, okay? He's Jesus' half-brother. Jesus' father is divine, but he had an earthly mother, okay? So they don't share the same dad, but they do share the same mom. That's what we'll find out here. So, but Jesus' brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. Um, Sorry, I'm gonna start at verse two again. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles, You can't become famous if you hide like this. This is Jesus' brother speaking to Jesus. It almost sounds like mockery, doesn't it? If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Even his brothers didn't believe in him. And Jesus replied, now's not the right time for me to go. But you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. It's a great honor and privilege to be with the people of God and to preach your word. I pray for an anointing that would allow for the preaching to be powerful and effective, that it would catalyze transformation in those who hear it. God, uh, your word says, specifically in James, if we just hear your word but don't do your word, we're deceiving ourselves. Your will for us, your desire for us is much deeper than us just nodding our head to a sermon, listening, responding back with a that's good or preach it preacher. You want us to live this thing out. So God, help us. Give us grace. Give us power from your spirit to live out these truths in our everyday life. We want to be more like Jesus. Do that. I pray this church would continue to foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all ever had a moment with a friend? Maybe it was you. Maybe it was a friend. And they say something. You just have a hard time believing it. You're like, nah, I don't think so. Like, you got a five-five-foot friend who jumps three inches, and they're like, yeah, I can dunk. You're like... No, you can't, man. You cannot. Yes, I can't. I promise you. And then it's like, all right, all right, you can. Let's go to the court right now then. Let's go right now. If you really can, if you can do, let's go. This is kind of the tone of this conversation. Jesus and his brothers. 
right, as, as they sit here and, and they're talking with each other. Jesus isn't going to the festival. He's not not going because he's scared to die, although he does have human emotions, fully God, fully man. He, he definitely experienced some of those things, but Jesus is in perfect submission to the will of the Father. And so if Jesus is going to go and get killed, but God has an appointed time for him to die, which we know will be the cross, then he's going to avoid death at that, at, at that point. And sometimes the most way that's done practically is to not show up. And so Jesus is like, no, I'm not going. God told me what are you gonna say now you know it's like he, he, he's in perfect submission but his his brothers are egging him on saying you you gotta go Jesus has an awareness of his father's perfect timing and, and he's obedient to that but what I want you to understand is is up to this point Jesus has been revealing his messianic nature in the region of Galilee he's been doing miracles um, but it's understood that the people of Judea look down on the Jews of Galilee. So you have this festival, there's gonna be tons of Jews. Uh, Jerusalem is sort of the epicenter of Judaism. And, and the real Jews here, uh, the most, you know, the, the elite Jews, they look, in, look down on the Jews of Galilee like, ah, they're not, they're, they're not the right Jews, right? There's this, it's kind of frowned upon. And Jesus is, a lot of his ministry is taking place in this. So it's easy for the religious leaders to discredit the work of Jesus. Y'all with me? So, so uh, it, it was thought and it was also assumed that whoever the Messiah was, whenever that Messiah would come, his revealing would be some sort of spectacle. And if you know about Jesus, yes, it was divine that he was miraculously conceived, but it hasn't really been a spectacle. It's been a humble beginning, right? Like we're talking the manger and like, you know, the, at one point in the scriptures, people are like, does anything good come from Nazareth? So there's, it hasn't been glorious. He's had humble beginnings. But it says this in John 7, and Jesus' brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't be famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world for even his brothers didn't believe in him it would appear that his brothers are almost baiting Jesus. If he really is the Messiah, if you really are who people are claiming you're supposed to, prove it. Go, go work your miracles where it really matters. Go, go work your miracles where you'll get clout and, and it will really blow up and it'll make this major impact. If it really is, go. The scriptures tell us plainly, even Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. Now my whole point of sharing this passage is really not to break down the festival or to share even Jesus's response. I just want you to see where James starts because he is one of the brothers of Jesus. He starts as a skeptic. Even his own brothers didn't believe in him. He starts as a skeptic. Now what's interesting is as we continue to read through the New Testament, so you go through the Gospels, then we get into the book of Acts, and we'll see these really significant moments that take place in the scriptures and James is there. And it would appear that he's following. It's like, what happened? What changed? Just look at this, Acts 1. I, I thought this was interesting as I studied this week. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And Jesus replies, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud. This is Jesus, this is real. He's taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white men suddenly stood among them. So Jesus is like, teaches them and then he's like, and they're just like, Bible says they're straining. Like, I don't know how long you got to watch till you're straining, but they just watch Jesus get vacuumed up into heaven. This is the ascension of Jesus. It's a significant moment. He's died, put in the grave, resurrected, visits his disciples, mingles with people. Then he has this last chat with them. Hey, I'm coming back. It's all going to change. Don't know when it is. Peace. Disciples are just like, then all of a sudden, two white-robed guys show up. Ah! You know what I'm saying? It's, so let's see what they have to say. As they strained to see him rising to heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Because that was crazy. That's why, you know. Jesus has been taken into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. And when they arrived, they went upstairs into the upper room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, different James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, different James, Simon, Zealot, Judas, son of James. They all met together. They were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. In Acts 1, we see that James is now a disciple. Something changed. Now, now, he's, now he's following him. Now he's with the, now he's, oh, now you want to go in the upper room and pray? Like, I thought you didn't even believe in this guy. What, what happened? What changed? And as we continue to read through the New Testament, we're going to randomly find out in 1 Corinthians 15 what happened. Let's read it together. It says this. Paul's writing. He said, he's talking about Jesus. He said he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some had died. Check this out. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Paul right here, he's talking about after Jesus resurrects from the grave, some of the interactions and conversations and encounters that happened after that moment. And he specifically says, check this out, I just wanna make sure we didn't miss it. Then he was seen by James and all the other apostles. And that's the moment I think everything changed. The resurrected Jesus revealing himself to James. The, the, the resurrected Jesus, James, who maybe struggled with some unbelief, living in his brother's shadow. Jesus is walking on water in the pool, showing off. He's like, whatever, everybody loves Jesus, you know. James, Jesus reveals himself. I want you to know this morning, Jesus loves to reveal himself to his sons and daughters. And, 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 it's, and, and when Jesus reveals himself to you, all it takes is one encounter with Jesus and the whole trajectory of your life can change. Everything can change. 
I can look around this room and I think of people. I know your stories. I know what you've walked through. I think of myself. We can look through the scriptures and we see Paul on his way to persecute the church and Jesus graciously, violently reveals himself to Paul. It changes everything. He loves to reveal himself to you. Romans will teach us that Jesus is revealing himself to us through nature. He loves to reveal himself. And we see specifically with James that Christ, after his resurrection, uh, reveals himself to him. It's interesting. They don't share this in the Gospels. They don't share it uh, in the book of Acts, but we discover it. We don't have all the details on this, but we can assume this was a moment pivotal for James in his transformation from a skeptic to a disciple. We know he'll be in the upper room when the 120 are filled with the Holy Spirit. So not only is James even converted to being a believer of Jesus, but he's going to take part in a moment where the Spirit of God is, gonna, is going to fill him with the Holy Spirit and give him power for the work of the ministry. What James didn't realize is even in his moment of unbelief, even, even in moments of doubt, that didn't change the fact that God had good plans for James. This is true about you. So part of the reason we uh, know, know this to be true, so, so uh, uh, from this point on, James begins, he, James is gonna go out, he's gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's gonna live this life of immense kingdom impact. He becomes a pillar in the church. He uh, rises up in the ranks through the church in Jerusalem. And part of the reason we know this to be true because the, as we venture, continue to venture through the book of Acts, everybody still with me? Yeah. I know this is a little bit deeper today and I'm taking you all over the place, so if you get lost, just say, I'm lost, preacher! Actually, don't do that. That'd be discouraging. So we have Paul and we have Barnabas, okay? Paul, he's persecuting the church. Jesus reveals himself to him. He's uh, radically transformed. And then Paul goes on to write 13 books of the New Testament, uh, impacts the New Testament world other than Jesus, maybe greater than anybody else. He, he has this incredible ministry. And so he has sons in the faith along the way. One of those sons in the faith is Barnabas. They walk into, they're carrying the gospel everywhere they go. He walks into Antioch with Barnabas and they get into a debate with the church. And Paul's like, hey, the beauty of the gospel is it's not works, it's just Jesus. It's just through faith in Jesus. And they're like, no, you gotta be circumcised and believe in Jesus. And Paul's like, no, that's not true. Because that would mean that our works get us into heaven and this is the free grace of God. It's not by works so that no man can boast. It's only Jesus. Don't got to do anything else. They're like, you're wrong. So here, here there, there's this debate taking place. He's like, let's go to Jerusalem then and then let's figure it out. So Paul and Barnabas, they walk to Jerusalem to, because this is the epicenter. This is where the apostles are. And so they walk in and they make their case. They're like, hey, we're having arguments with Antioch. They think, you know, you got to be circumcised. And uh, we, we just know that it's Jesus. We just want to clear this up. We just want to clarify it. They're putting, they're putting works on these new believers. And we will see as we read through this book, watch this, Acts 15. When they finished, Paul and Barnabas here, when they finished, you won't believe who stood up and answered them. When they finished, James stood and said, brothers, listen to me. It's like, look at you, James. 
You went from being a doubter, went from being a mocker. Now you're the chairman in the church. Who do you think you are? James just stands up ready to address. Oh, well, let me clarify since there's so much confusion. Come on, how many know? Regardless of where you're at, regardless of what your stories look like, God has incredible things planned for you. Amen? Well, see, James continues to mature and grow in the spirit. You know, James maybe never knew it, but God had good plans for his life. One of those good plans that he had for James was specifically authoring this letter of the New Testament. And this will be the letter that we'll go through together as a church in the coming weeks. He, uh, the, the letter starts off like this. It says, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. As we, as we uh, prepare to go through this letter verse by verse, I want to answer three questions this morning. I'll go through quick. But, but the first one is this. To whom did James write? Why did James write? And how does this letter apply to us today? So who did James write to? Why did he write it? And how does this letter apply to us today? Upon reading the verse, we can see that James is writing specifically to Jewish Christians. His audience is, is Jewish believers. Now, Jewish believers are going to have their own struggles as they unlearn uh, the law for themselves, as they begin to live under the Spirit. But we'll also discover that they've been scattered abroad because the church has experienced persecution. And so the, the Jews have uh, dispersed all over the place. Now, what's interesting about this group of people is we can almost assume that they're experiencing hardship because not only are they being oppressed by the Romans, but now since they've received Jesus as their Messiah, that gives them beef with Jews who haven't because these Jews didn't receive Jesus as their Messiah. In fact, even Jewish people today are still waiting for the return of the Messiah and so, or, or for the revealing of the Messiah. And so now they don't really fit anywhere. And so them following Jesus might be some uncomfortability while they're on earth. And James recognized that, and so he decides to write into it. Second question that I want to answer is, why did James write this letter? The beauty of the New Testament is that each letter we find in the New Testament is written specifically with its own special theme to an intended audience for an intended purpose. Romans was written to the Roman Christian demographic to prepare them for Paul's visit. Uh, The Corinthians received a letter to clear up some of the chaos they were experiencing. And although these letters are written to specific audiences, we can go to them as believers today and we can reap from them these eternal, timeless truths that'll help mature us in spirit, that will make us more like Jesus. The word of God is living and it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Uh, Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. It doesn't matter what decade you're from, you can get into these scriptures and they will transform your life because it's not just words, it's the living, breathing word of God and it imparts life to us. There's timeless, eternal truths embedded within them that we need to apply directly to our Christian walk. So again, um, 
yeah, as we look, so why, why did he write this letter? As we venture through this book, we'll gain context as, as for why James wrote this letter. First, uh, it, it was common for this demographic of people to be going through hardship, ex- experiencing trials. And so he wants to write into that about not wavering in your faith. But, he, but he's like, man, if we're going to mature in the spirit, then we're going to learn to be faithful in every season. Come on, is that a lesson we need to learn to, to right now, church? Amen, it is. Uh, church members are competing for offices in the church, more specifically about teaching responsibilities. They're fighting over authority. So he writes into that. One of the major problems with the church is they're not uh, practicing what they're preaching, okay? What they profess to believe, their lives don't demonstrate it. That doesn't sound familiar, does it? Gossip is creating division in the church. Imagine that. Worldliness is creeping into the church. And although there's this array of dysfunction and conflict, all these problems are pretty much fruit of that which is the root of spiritual immaturity. If the church would mature, these things would cease to happen. And so as James writing, I I think one of the primary purposes of James's letter is to cultivate and develop spiritual maturity in the church so they can more fully function the way that God desires, wills, and intended. And he's saying part of the reason all these things exist is because we're being spiritually immature. And so as we go through the book of James, what we'll find is there's really five marks of spiritual maturity. We'll also see this word James uses as we go through. He'll use this word perfect, Now, we know we're never going to be perfect, but that word he uses for perfect, it isn't so much in relation to being sinless as much as it is about being whole, being complete, growing to maturity. James's letter is a strong exhortation to the church to grow and mature, not do all these things so you can be saved, but it's building upon what we've received in Christ Jesus. He is our firm foundation. He is our cornerstone. James's letter is giving us practical wisdom to grow and mature as believers. Okay, does that sound good? Uh, so here's the five marks. Here's the five things that he's going to address. He want, he's going to teach, if you're a mature believer, these five things should be demonstrated in your life, or these should be what we're working towards. One, we're patient in testing. Two, we practice what we preach. Three, we gain power over our tongues. Four, we're peacemakers, not troublemakers. And five, we're prayerful in our troubles. Boiled down, James' intent is to provide strong exhortation to believers to build upon their salvation, to more fully step into whom and to what God has called them to be a part of. Okay, do we see that? Y'all still with me? Anybody sleeping? All right, third question. How does this letter apply to us? I think that's pretty plain and simple. We can see all those things that he addresses, those five things. How does this apply to us? Because we're going to experience hardship. We're going to experience trials. We're going to experience things that cause our faith to waver. God, how, how could you allow this to happen? How could you be good? If you were so good, why didn't, why didn't I have this? Or why did you allow this? And, and there's this call as, as Christians. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. If we will heed the words of James, we will learn to do this. Two, we, we got to practice 
what we preach. You know, come on, one of the people hating on the church because all the hypocrisy that they see. To be fair, that's kind of the point of why we recognize we need Jesus, but that's a different conversation. There is, we do have the power, we have the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us where real freedom is available, real obedience is available, and there's this calling for us to not just preach what we preach, but to practice what we preach, amen? We gotta get power over our tongues, the gossip, all, all of these things, uh, being peacemakers, being prayerful through troubles. As we go through the book of James, I think it's almost gonna be scary how closely it applies to our walk and what we're experiencing as the church in America right now. But here's what I wanna be sure of. That we read this letter with its true intent, which is for spiritual growth. Because it would be easy for us to get into the book of James and think, oh man, I gotta be really good to get to God. Lacey, you can jump on keys. I just want to encourage the room and remind the room that it is only Jesus who can save your soul. And there is no amount of good works that'll ever make you fit. You, we could go through this whole study of James. You could apply it almost perfectly to your life. You could grow and mature spiritually uh, and, and you could do, you could get 98% of it right. You would still be unfit for the standard of heaven. I don't know if you've noticed, but you're broken. I don't know if you've noticed, but you're sinful. I don't know if you've noticed, but you keep trying to do good. You keep trying to get it right, and you don't always get it right. You ain't the only one. I'm with you. And I got to preach this thing. You know what I mean? But if we could get it right by ourselves, if we could just do it ourselves, then what would the cross be for? All of these scriptures point to our need for grace. You and I, we were dead in our sin. But Jesus has invited us out of it. He wants to deposit his spirit in us and give us new life. And then he wants to build upon that cornerstone. Maybe you're in here this morning and you hear that, you're like, man, I, maybe you've even been like, man, I've kind of wanted to do this Jesus thing. I've kind of wanted to, but man, I just don't feel good enough. I'm, I'm still doing this. I'm still on this substance. I still look at this. I still, I haven't been good. I've hurt a lot of people. It's just, everybody knows my story. I could never, and Jesus is just like, would you stop? Man, it's, it's not his desire that anybody would perish, but that everyone would be saved. He's, he's being patient and and I know, just like he revealed himself to James, he wants to reveal himself to you. Maybe you fell asleep during the preaching, and that's fine. But I know during worship, you feel something stirring in your heart. It's God. It's God. It's, it's the Spirit of God saying, Son, saying, Daughter, I, I, I created you. You were created for me and by me. I want relationship with you. And it's only through faith in him that he'll cleanse us from our sin, that he'll cancel the punishment for our sin and we can have relationship with him forever. He says, just believe that my sacrifice was sufficient to cover your sin. If you're in the room, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I wanna give you the opportunity to start it. Because I think it can just start with a conversation. So I wanna give you the opportunity, I wanna pray with you, I'm not gonna make you do anything crazy, Just. Just if you're ready, man, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm ready for that. He's ready for you. 
invitation has been extended. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're in this room and you know you're not right with God, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you're ready for it, he's ready for you. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up in the air. Uh, I'm gonna count down from three. You slip your hand up, we'll say a prayer together. That, and we'll confess and believe together that Jesus is Lord, that his sacrifice was sufficient for us. If you're in here ready for new life, uh, three, two, one, put your hand in the air. I see one hand, praise God. Would there be two hands in the air? I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to give him everything. I'm ready to surrender everything. I recognize it. Yeah. Come on, let's all stand together. Can we praise God for a couple of hands going up in the room? He reveals himself. It's what he does. Come on, would you repeat after me loud and proud? Jesus, we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that you're Lord. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for dying for my sins. I believe your sacrifice is sufficient to cover my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you. I'm never turning back. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we give God praise?